Welcome to the Scale Up Your Business podcast. In this podcast, we talk about what it takes to go from startup to scale up and beyond. How to significantly grow your business, create freedom, build wealth, and live life on your terms. Featuring some very special guests and experts to give you advice and direction on your journey. And now, introducing your host, entrepreneur, investor, and scale-up specialist, Nick Bradley. Hi, everyone. It's Nick. Welcome to today's episode. So people come to me and they say, how can I grow and scale my business? They also come to me and they say, Nick, can you help me get unstuck? And particularly over the last six months when we've been through global pandemics, lots of change, and lots of disruption, lots of uncertainty. I've probably had more people come and ask the second question versus the first one. And what's cool about it really is actually the same principles apply to both scenarios. But let's just define stuck before we get into how you become unstuck. So stuck stuck is that feeling where you are overwhelmed, you're stressed, you're often burnt out, you're often run out of ideas. And that's come from having your business stop growing. Often in plateau, stalling you know you just don't know what your next move should be so if that's you and you are in my definition of stuck which can feel a little bit like the pit of despair particularly if you don't know what you're going to do about it then you are in the right place today so i'm delighted to have on scale up your business craig lamasters now he is an author entrepreneur investor uh, a board member with more than two decades of success in pretty high leadership positions and he now dedicates his time to helping senior leaders get unstuck on the major growth challenges to their business so we've got a, a leading expert on their whole topic of getting unstuck on the show today now he works with global enterprises he focuses a lot on knowledge gaps how you build alignment in people teams organizations around their strategic decisions how you enable more critical decision making in businesses and that comes from, you know, he was a CEO of a pretty big organization over in the US called Assurance Solutions. And he has worked, you know, in, in many, many businesses, but he's got a good track record of global enterprise as well and building presence, business presence in 25 new markets around the world. So we're going to get right into the methodology of Unstuck. And I have to call it from the outset, it's not dissimilar to the stuff that I talk about when I mention the six peaks of value creation. So what's best about today's show with Craig is we are going to riff backwards and forwards on all the different things that could be affecting your business. Uh, when they show up, how you identify exactly what they are, and importantly, like I like to do on all the episodes of Scale Up Your Business, focus on the practical tips that you can apply to get you out of that position. So there we have it. That's it. A deep dive into that. So if you are, to kind of go back to what I said, if you're stuck, you want to get unstuck, today's episode is for you. And equally, if you're not stuck, but you're not growing as fast as you'd like, you're in that journey of scale up, there are nuggets in my conversation with Craig today that are going to be applicable for you and your business. So there we have it. Today's show. Welcome to Scale Up Your Business, Craig Lamasters. Hi, everyone. Nick Bradley here. Welcome to another episode of Scale Up Your Business. 
I'm super excited to get into the topic that we are going to cover today because it's actually one of the things that comes up probably more than anything else when I'm working with businesses that are going on the journey from startup to scale up and beyond. It's that bit in the middle where they become stuck. And we're going to focus today on how you become unstuck with world-renowned expert on this topic, Craig Lamasters. Welcome to Scale Up Your Business. Awesome. Thank you, Nick. What a, what a pleasure to be with, uh, with you today. Love, love the work you're doing and, and it'd be great fun to visit with you and your audience today. So thank you. Yeah, well, we're very, very grateful to have you on the show. And just a little bit of, of context. So you're an author, entrepreneur, investor. You've got a couple of decades of success in you know pretty senior positions, big sort of Fortune 500 companies, subsidiaries, and working you know in a lot of the areas that we want to get into today, identifying gaps and how do you move past these things that can sometimes be really consuming, I suppose, also for the leaders, the founders of these businesses. So we're going to get into all of that. But before we do, just um, sort of unpack, if you like, and add a little bit more color to your background <laughs> yeah, well, so we can kind of get to know you. <laughs> well, the, the good news is, and, and I actually told you this earlier, it's always hard because knowing your background, Nick, I mean, it's not nearly as interesting as your journey and 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 what, <laughs> what you've morphed into in your businesses because mine was really 27 years of the same company. And it's it's really funny back when we were doing live talks and I love doing speaking engagements. And when I say that to an audience, everyone kind of looks at me like I'm a freak show. It's like, who does that? You know, 27. But it, it, it happened. And the reason it happened is I believe it worked for the most amazing company. Um, and we morphed a lot. We bought and sold a lot of companies. And I missed a meeting one day, I guess, and got to be CEO. And so for 11 years, I got to run a really big company. Or, or being a public company in the U.S., we call that 44 quarters here. So it's... it's is, that, uh, <laughs> um, is that basically like, is that like saying you, you drew the short straw? It, it, feel, it felt like it. And, yeah. It kind of, there were many days where it feels like that that whole adage it's lonely at the top is pretty pretty true um but anyway I, so i would summarize that whole tenure without boring you with lots of details is and i tell people this all the time i had the best big company job anybody could have i had a great board um, great holding company bosses they let me do all the wacky stuff i wanted to do and my passions were around global expansion um got to take the company into i think 25 plus countries um, we did a lot of digital transformation work. That's actually how I bumped into this concept that I built GXG around. And then did a wacky thing as well. When I turned, right before I turned 55, told the, told the, the folks I was going to leave at that point. So I left at 55, which is kind of a fun magic age, uh, certainly here in terms of, um, of, of a good opportunity and things had gone well with the company, gone well with the stock price. So I had the luxury to do that. And, and, and the reason I did it was very simple. Um, we built a great succession plan and a wonderful team. And number one, I want to give them an opportunity to take this, this organization to the next level, which they did, by the way, last few years, they've done amazing. But even more importantly, and probably selfishly, I, I just felt like I had bumped into some amazingly wise people that helped me, particularly the last six or seven years of my tenure. And I just felt this, this sort of burning desire to go share a couple of these methodologies with, with leaders. And if it was the one thing I could sort of give back and help them because here's the punchline of everything I do now. And you said the word, when we're stuck and we're a leader, it's super hard. 
that's not a very technical description, but it's hard. It's lonely. And I was fortunate to bump into this way to get unstuck. I thought it'd be a kind of a kick to go share it. I had no idea we would build and scale our own company around this. I thought I'd kind of do it with a few people and help them out. And here we are four years later, the methodology has taken off. I've been very grateful that people encouraged me to write this little book about it. And it's in, and now I tell people I had the best big company job. Now I have the best little company job. So that's my story. So I can tell already you're a humble guy, Craig. <laughs> oh, well. because there's a number of things I want to delve into before we kind of get into um, the really practical stuff, which yeah. I'd like to touch on today. Absolutely. Is, so you, so if I, if I get my maths right for a piece here, you joined... Uh, assurance solutions yeah. sort of late 20s i imagine so just to think you were there 27 years left when you were 55 good math yeah something like that um <laughs> i'm a private equity guy so you know you got to be reasonably you be that. sharp um but so so i'm i'm anticipating here that you kind of went on your own scale up journey with this company now when you joined in the late 20s how big was it uh, gosh, the company was a few hundred million dollars. So it was pretty, okay. uh, pretty reasonable size company at the time, a uh, very small cap public company actually based in Miami, Florida. So not, not a, not a big company. And, and you said also that one of the things you were both good at, interested in, and probably yeah. led is this global expansion yeah. piece. And I believe it was 25 markets. Yeah. So t take us, let's start there if we can, <laughs> because, because I want to just understand the journey of how you scaled through that and, and the challenges and, and the learnings from that period of your career, if you can. Yeah. Well, and you're exactly right. When I started, I started with a small company and I quickly realized that my passion was around growing stuff. I mean, everybody's drawn, I call it the swim lane of wisdom. I think we're all gifted with certain things. Things. You're probably amazing at math, being in private equity and, and other things. Uh, but I think we're all gifted with that. And one of mine was just, just this fascination with how do we grow things. And, and I very early on in my late 20s, um, it struck me that profitable growth tended to heal all the other things we argued about in companies. <laughs> and we argue about a lot of stuff in organizations. I don't care how big your company is, but profitable growth, when, when, we, when we latched onto something, I had something work, I realized that all of a sudden, all those other conversations just went away and we all got along and it was kind of fun. And I'm like, this feels better than that. So I became fascinated with how do you grow stuff? And so my journey was really about that. I had an amazing boss early on that let me actually run businesses, run P&Ls in my late 20s into my 30s and then they gave me a little bigger business and so I ended up getting a chance to run five or six of our businesses at Assurant. And my fascination with global expansion was very simple. It was genetic. My dad ended up running a big global company. I watched him do it. I was always fascinated by that. And I would always ask the question, our products are really good. Why aren't we doing this outside of the US? And again, I didn't need a big consulting deck, which we had lots of, to tell me to do that. It was, it was kind of just, a, I thought, a very logical thing. So that that was one of the most enjoyable eight or nine years when I did that um, and led the international expansion of my entire work life because it was so challenging, so fascinating. I was sharing you with you earlier how we built a big company in the UK and all of the iterations and false starts and, and, and failures. Um, it, it was the richest thing I've ever done to the point where my senior leadership team as CEO was largely made up of people who had had that international experience. Because without it, I just didn't think leaders had the grit to get the stuff done. Um, so yeah, that was my fascination with it. And fortunately, it worked out pretty well. And then, and it is still it is now the the single fastest and biggest part of my predecessor company. 
Fantastic. Okay. So, um, so as you said, a lot of success in that, in that time of your career, what was the most challenging thing during that time? Yeah, I, I think for me, the, the single hardest thing is around people and, and particularly senior people in our organizations. And we hear this all the time. And I realized I was doing it about midway through this. When we get asked, particularly at the end of our work lives, what was the hardest thing you did? It's, well, I didn't make people changes and I didn't pick the right people. Um, and, and, and I would say that was the hardest thing, particularly with global expansion, because what I found, Nick, and I think this is relevant to your audience, actually, in in the early stage, is most of the time, the people that helped me with early stage countries and new companies were not the same people that ended up scaling it. Now, that may not be what everybody wants to hear, but I've got pretty good data to back that up. And I think there's some pretty specific reason why. So making those changes was always the hardest thing for me because these were great people. They loved the company, loved what we did, but it became when it becomes a mismatch, we have to make those changes. So that was the only people always ask, oh, what keeps you up at night and, and all this different stuff, the economy and, and the PL. No, that stuff is going to play out the way it is based on your effort, I believe, long term. What kept me up at night were the hard people choices. Yeah, no, people often ask me, what's the definition of scale up? Because it's one of those amorphous yeah. things. It doesn't really have a, doesn't have a start point and it doesn't really have an end point, exactly. right? It's the middle bit. And uh, I, I say often it's the ability to, to spot talent and capability and build teams, yeah, you know, put it. people yeah. in the right seats. Yeah. And it's the ability to work with structure and process That's because right. yeah. a lot of the creatives, you know, and you see this all the time in startup, the people, as you said, before we started recording, the people who are in love with their products, yeah. they find it hard to move into, into something which has structure and feels like it has constraints, that's but, right. but to draw on the people piece, yeah. that's, that, that is fascinating. Cause I fully agree with you that, you know, people who I often say people who start businesses, are not necessarily the ones who can scale them. And that doesn't necessarily mean you need to change the people sometimes. Oh, that's sometimes right. Can evolve. Yeah. But uh, I fully agree. Yeah. Okay. One of the things, just, just to stare at that real quickly, Nick, and may, you have a big practice in this area specifically, and maybe you've seen this. I also find it fascinating that that a lot of the, the early stage leaders don't realize that you really don't have to make changes, but you do have to surround yourself with at least a couple of people that do know how to do it. And I even see the reluctancy to do that. And that's yeah. where it's really hard because that's not a great formula for the next stage of an enterprise. Um, no. So it's really, systemic. and it comes back to, you know, we were talking a little bit about humility yeah. again, and I think sometimes it's hard, not, every, I mean, you're right. The, the difference between leaders who are doing well now, particularly as there's more challenging stuff going on yeah. globally, not just pandemic, actually even politically and uh, yeah. economically yeah. Um, are the ones who are, you know, prepared to go out there and ask for help. Mm-hmm. And are the ones who are going to surround themselves with the right people who are going to be able to offer things that they may not be good at. But in order to do that, you've got to have the self-awareness first to be able to admit that. And then to the word you said, the humility to be able to accept that. Yeah, absolutely. And there's actually some encouraging data coming out as we chatted earlier about, which is, and it was a McKinsey study, I believe a few weeks ago. And it's a shocking number actually that 79% of leaders don't believe they have the knowledge as we would call it, knowledge and experience, wisdom, support to grow after the pandemic and that's a pretty wow. that's a pretty shocking number and i haven't heard that yet yeah, I mean, i'm gonna check i, that I, I, I can send you a link to the study it's pretty cool i mean there's lots of other stuff in there but for my business model this was spot on because we talk about wisdom-based learning and we've never seen a number nearly that high and 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 again i think it's 
when you step back and get over the shock of 80% of leaders almost think that uh, it kind of makes sense because this has been a great equalizer for people. I mean, this is, this is hard across the board. I mean, I guess unless you're fortunate to be Amazon or somebody, this is pretty hard. And I think it's equalized us from a humility standpoint to say, wow, what was easy maybe or easier nine months ago, it's harder. And oh, by the way, we don't really have an end in sight for this. So we're going to figure out some new paths. And that's where the 79% comes in is I'm not really capable, I don't think, to find a new path on my own. That's pretty high humility. How much of that do you think is confidence oh. <laughs> versus, versus competence? Yeah, I, 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 it, it, you, you hit on a really hot topic for me. I, I think confidence is one of the missing words in what I would call ultimately the leadership formula that I've always worked off of. I call it unstuck now. That's the end state I want to help leaders get to, meaning and the old word for that is agile leader. I don't know about you, but I'm really tired about talking about agile leadership because it's been around for about 20 years. And my argument is we've been talking about it for 20 years. Where are they? <laughs> Why don't we have them everywhere? And here's where I work backwards. So if the goal, and I call it unstuck, because I think leaders net get paid for one thing only, and that is to make choices. We make the other things that we have to do in the job kind of a big deal because we'd like to kind of avoid choices. So why is that? And some are better than others. And I think in the middle, so if I look at unstuck or agile as the destination, the middle is confidence. And I'm so glad you brought it up because I think we miss this is that when we don't move quickly or we, 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 we end up not moving quickly, not because we're bad people or we don't care or we're working hard. We may be working 15 hours a day or more, but it's usually what I've seen is because we lack confidence. Now that comes from myself. You know, why did I struggle in China? We had grown everywhere else globally. Why China? Guess what? My confidence in China was incredibly low. Now let's back up one more step. Why is that? I believe it is wisdom. And I define wisdom as the intersection of both knowledge and experience, both knowledge and experience. So the higher our wisdom quotient is, the more confidence we have and the faster we make choices. And that's the sequencing that I used as my tenure as CEO. And now that we built the GXG sort of concepts around is, and I see it every day right now, especially trying to kind of work out of this pandemic. And that's what that study said is I don't have, or that's my interpretation. I don't have the wisdom that's going to give me the confidence to grow. These are the same people that if you asked them nine months ago said, yeah, I got a hundred percent chance to grow my company to the next level or whatever it might be. It'd be pretty high, high confidence. Well, that, that, that sort of more underlines the fragility it's that incredible, sometimes right? between that because I mean, I work with different organizations um, and, and the big thing obviously that hit at the very beginning of kind of global pandemic was cash runways. Oh, yeah. uh, how cool. much, how much do you have? Because a lot of people, the bullish ones are like, well, actually, no, I've just been investing and I didn't even <laughs> expect this. The more prudent ones had a more balanced approach to it, but yeah. let, let's get into, um, let's get into uh, kind of the methodology of what you have sure. created. And I definitely want to unpack wisdom a bit more, but yeah. first question I've got for you is of the businesses that you've been working with over the last few years and, and maybe more particularly in the last few months. Yeah. What, what are some of the common areas where they are getting stuck? If, if you can 
you know, simplify it like that? Yeah, well, the, the, the general theme is growth, right? I mean, most companies either went into a no growth or a negative or decline mode during the pandemic. So the number one topic is how do we now grow again? So that's what we're broadly, and we're dealing with it in a lot of formats. We have a lot of technology work going on now of obviously just the fact you and I are on Zoom all day long, as is everybody else, says there's a shift here. So how does the technology digital part of this play into my business? So I would say the subset of the growth would be that. It's, it's the digital distribution of whatever I'm doing. And oh, by the way, Eight months ago, I wasn't very good at this. I didn't even know how to log into Zoom. Now, I've got to think about how I distribute my products and my livelihood digitally. That's pretty daunting. And so I would say if I had to pick a bucket, that's one. The second, interestingly enough, is around culture. And okay. how do we actually get people motivated again? I mean, let's not kid ourselves. This is a this is a pretty Debbie Downer time right now for most of us, right? There's a lot of health issues, which is obvious, but it goes far beyond that. I mean, let's take a subset of that called mental health and what's really happening with uh, most people right now. That's a huge challenge. Logistics, kids pets, animals, how do we make all this work, Nick? I mean, there, there's just tremendous challenges around culture and motivating people. And what does our company even look like, right? We know what it used to look like, which is I could look out there and see everybody working and walk around and talk to them. And that was our culture. And, you know, that's over right now. Whether it comes back, who knows? But, but so that would be the second bucket, the big growth bucket, a lot of technology stuff related to that. But surprisingly, the cultural piece is is a big deal right now and what about let's talk a little bit more now about leadership yeah sure within that as well so so the the people that you have seen and, and worked with that are navigating this yeah. well versus the ones that are hibernating or doing some, doing something There's else some hibernation going on that's fair what, what's the characteristics of the of the leaders who are really you know hitting their straps through these these challenges yeah and these levels? yeah well i'm super biased because i'm i'm fascinated with three three things that i try to share and teach because i had the privilege that and, and it's a, i guess a reflection of of my age but leading through the financial crisis in the u.s 9-11 my company was headquartered actually in miami when hurricane andrew came through and literally destroyed both the city and our company. So what I tried to do in the pandemic is say, well, what are the two or three things? I'm fascinated with the number three in terms of leadership. What are the two or three things that we can do that make a difference? And so the people I work with are, are doing these well. Number one, and they're really simple. Number one is, is to really take time to know people you work with and not just know about them. I think most leaders are pretty good at knowing about people. When I say really know them, I want leaders to understand the heart level of particularly their leadership teams, hopefully broad, more broadly, but at least the leadership teams. What, what, how do they think about things? <laughs> how do they process information? How do they even make decisions, right? How many, how many companies you work with complain about decisions everybody makes? And I always ask a simple question, well, why do they make that decision? 
Well, I don't know. It's just a bad decision. We don't, we don't really know people. So number one, they're taking the time to know them. There's no easy way to do this, Nick. It's just time. Like I said, you got to take time to do it. What better time than now? People are starving for this. And if you do that, the second thing is getting back to leaders make choices. This is a unique opportunity for leaders that want to take advantage of it, which is us being more specific about the work we have everybody doing. Right. And again, I don't like fancy consulting terms. There's lots of terms around that. And we can talk about prioritization. We can talk about focus. But it's basically as a leader making very specific choices based on what I really know about that person. Here's a newsflash. Everybody has different capacity right now very different capacity. Most of them can still work fairly full time, but what have we done? And I'd be curious if you've seen this, our response to this, particularly because we're on you know Zoom or whatever all day, is we just keep piling on more stuff right now. As a leader, we feel better that, gosh, I'm nervous about the future. So I'm going to give Jane 30 things to do this week and not 10 like we used to. And that's creating tremendous stress in organization. I think it's, I think leaders are creating more stress, quite frankly, right now than the pandemic is. Because because we can do the opposite. So number two is be specific, make choices. We've seen seen companies, big companies, change their culture almost overnight right now that have followed this advice and said, go out to the whole organization, say, oh, by the way, it's super stressful right now. And instead of the 10 things we've been talking about, we're going to do two really well in the next six months. And here's why. Wow, what what a game changer. Third thing I try to encourage people to do is in the, I'm fascinated with the area of communication. I was always a big fan of it. And I would say whatever your communication strategy is, right now take that strategy and here's a scientific tip double it double it I thought you were going to say triple it. Well, you can triple it. Yeah, <laughs> See, I'm, I'm not a PE guy, so I'm not smart enough to figure the math. But no, I was, I was bringing back to your rules of three. But it's even, yeah. but it's even better. But those <laughs> those are the three things. And I see leaders that are doing that, really getting to know people, investing the time, being specific on the output we want from them, and then doubling whatever communication feels right. Just 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 double it. Start there. Yeah, one one sort of I suppose perspective I'll give on that is. If you think about, um, and we we probably work in slightly different areas, uh, so I work in businesses that are going through scale. They they could still have a few hundred employees, but they're not bad corporates. But what's interesting around what's happened um, is that when people get really stressed or they get overwhelmed, and to use your word, they get stuck, they tend to think that the solution is to double down on the effort, (laughs) the work, the action. so, So what I found a lot is that the, the leaders who have got really, really overwhelmed through what's happened uh, because their paradigm has changed. They've, the, the way they've responded is to try and do more work. And then the expectation of their leadership and their staff is to do more work. So I'll, I'll quite often go into a company, not physically, but virtually. <laughs> right. And, and, you know, there'll be, there'll be, I, I do crazy things. Like I look at people's schedules. I ask to look at the leadership team's diaries. Love that. Right. Love that. Yeah, I just like to I like to play around the edges to to see what's really going on because half the time, you know, people don't communicate it in the way that you need to see it. That's right. And 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 I've seen 10 hour, 12 hour back to back Zoom calls. Yeah. Yeah. Right. Yeah. You know, this is really just to sort of reiterate your point. Uh, it's insane. And and you kind of think, well, how how's that going to be productive? Because and, and partly it's just scare, it's fear, right? It's people being scared that they think, well, actually, the only way I'm going to get out of this is to work more. But as you know, it's 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 basically trying to get yourself to the fifty thousand foot view and doing less, but doing stuff that's about results and outcomes. Yeah. That's actually going to get you to where you want to be. I know I couldn't agree more, and I actually love that you do that. I, one of my fascinations has been calendar, email, text, voicemail back in the day, and. 
I love that you're doing that. I would say white space on a calendar is at an all-time low and it is <laughs> correlating with the stress. And we're doing it because activity does make us feel better as leaders. I call it the circle of stuck in the book and I drew a fun little diagram because it's just, I drew it about, I, like my, I, drew, I drew it about myself. <laughs> so, I mean, I'm not saying anybody has to buy into it, but I've shared it with a lot of people and they, they kind of get a kick out of it because the question I get is, have you been watching my company? But we create the circle of stuck because activity does make us feel better. The problem is we never then focused on the hard topic, which is usually the unstuck topic, right? So the real question on those diaries is how many of those meetings are helping us go from the old stuff we were doing, here's another technical term, to the new stuff that we have to do to grow again. And if you look at those diaries, the answer is usually almost none. And yet right. we kind of feel good. So yeah, we're perfectly aligned around there. I'm super glad you're doing that in your practice. That is so helpful for people. To yeah, it's, as I said, I like to do things a bit different. That's awesome. so let, let's, let's get into let's get into unstuck. So sure. before we get into, I want to get practical now for a while. Okay. But um, before we do that, I got one last question, which is what you said before about wisdom. Yeah. Because I quite like the idea, the intersection of knowledge and experience. Yeah. And on the front of your book, you know, you say there about the way to unlock or how to unlock is activating the wisdom of others. <laughs> right, right, right. Yeah. This is one of those terrible. This is one of those terrible parts in an interview where you realize someone's actually done some research. I love it. No, I love no. it. That's why I wrote such a short book so people would read it. <laughs> I love. It. But I want to. I want to play with the idea of of wisdom for sure. two reasons. I, I kind of think what 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 does what does that look like? Yeah. Because. You know, there's a piece there where, as you said before, there's a certain amount. Is it, the first, the starting point has to be understanding a gap, doesn't it? I, I think it. I think it does. And but let me start with what you first said, because I think wisdom is one of the most misunderstood and potentially misused term that I've bumped into, because mm. we want to think of wisdom. And, and if I say wisdom right now and ask you to picture a wise person, and I do this a lot, most people jump to some pretty extremes, you know, kind of this Yoda figure that's all knowing and has got, you know, just amazing stuff. And that is, you know, it's, it's possible, but the reality is most of us don't have that type of wisdom, right? And so the reason I use knowledge and experience Nick is I think the devil is in the details, right? We hear that term a lot, but I think in terms of growth initiatives, that new stuff idea, the devil is in the details. And what I mean by that is we have to get super granular on if we have a destination that's new stuff, we got to be very granular on what is the wisdom we're lacking. So specifically, what is the knowledge and experience that I don't have to get to that new destination or a part of it? So my definition is very important to me because Here's the cool part, that wisdom, and that's why I have the tagline on the, on the book, is literally everywhere around us. And I would argue, I don't care what age and stage people are at, I don't care what their role has been, they have, I think all of us have wisdom, and I call them swim lanes, so for those swimmers out there, they'll get that visual. We have swim lanes of wisdom that we've been gifted with, and we've worked on, and we've gained the knowledge and experience on. And so all I'm suggesting is if you buy into that definition, and then you figure out ways to activate it, you're just going to get to that new stuff faster. It's not that you won't get there. Don't misinterpret that. Here's other ways to get there. I just think they're super slow. <laughs> this well, is, this is my, I mean, I, I've got a number of companies now that I, you know, I've either bought or I've started sure. and the pathway to me getting to that position 
has been, you know, to use the old adage, you know, on the shoulders of others. That's right. None, none of it's overly original because I've just gone after, you know, got next to people who have, you know, maybe done it a bit, um, a bit ahead of me. That's right. And I've just learned what they've done and followed it. Yeah, I mean, it, maybe it, iterated a bit, but you know, to be frank, it's just really just learning the system, learning the process, learning the mindset, and then actioning it. Yeah, the reality is we rarely, very rarely have to create something new. Almost yeah. never, quite frankly. And to run a super successful organization, which is what we did at Assurance, um, I don't, I can't think of anything we actually did. But boy, I love your concept or the words that you use because it is the little business model of my GXG world now, which is on the backs of others that have gone before us. If we ask them in the right way, and then we facilitate the wisdom transfer in the right way, the speed at which we can move is simply shocking. And, and that's the part that I really want to share with people, because we talked about it a minute ago. The reason we tend to not do that is this humility issue. And now that that's been level set, I'm really, we're working tirelessly right now to get the word out that there is a path out there that is completely doable and it doesn't take a two-year you know, MBA to go figure this out. It literally takes, and it's usually a few conversations with the right wisdom to figure it out. And that's to be encouraging to leaders. It was to me. I'm just teaching what helped me, right? I didn't know how to do digital transformation, Nick. I didn't know how to do China. I didn't know how to do any of this stuff. And, and we did it and did it incredibly well. Not, it wasn't because of me. The company would probably be bankrupt. But my team having the humility to say, we don't understand China. Why is it so hard? We're losing tens of millions of dollars. Why is that? We did well everywhere else. Well, guess what? Our wisdom quotient in China was almost zero. Why? Because the knowledge and experience it takes to do business there is materially different than the UK, for example. Materially different. Let's just recognize that. All right. I think we've teased everyone enough. Nah, we, just keep going. Now. <laughs> we know we have. No, we have. we're now going to get practical, as I've been promising for Let's the last few weeks. So take us through this. So I'm. We'll, we'll do a little bit of scenario play. Sure. So I'm the CEO of a, a relatively, let's say it's a business doing two, three hundred million dollars yep. revenues. So it's not massive, but it's big-ish. Um, and I'm, I've hit a wall. Okay. And let's, let's say the wall is a growth wall and I'm feeling stuck, overwhelmed, all the things we said beforehand. Yeah. Okay. What do I do? Yeah. Take me through this process. Let's unpack it. Yeah. So I, I like to use five simple steps. Number one is we're going to have a conversation, you and I, if you're the CEO about humility and I'll give you my definition of humility. There's lots of them, but the one I care about is, you know, are you stuck first of all? And I, that's the question I ask and how people respond usually gives me insight into their level of humility. So if you admit you're stuck, let's assume you have. And then the second part of the definition is, you know, are you willing to listen to others and some wise people? And if your answer is yes and yes, then we move to step two. Step two is I want to understand the destination, Nick. I think a lot of companies vaguely describe their destination and not just the $200 million company. Newsflash, we work with the two or three of the biggest companies in the world here in the States. And, and it's, it's amazing how vague the destination is. So I'm going to push pretty hard. Our team will push hard on, we want to be really granular about the destination. That's step number two. Let's assume we get there. And then number three, we have a wacky exercise we use. And I encourage anybody can do this. You don't need GXG, but I'm a visual person. So I want you to draw pictures. Everybody knows what an ecosystem is, right? You got something in the middle and you got these little spokes off of it with circles, right? And so we, do, we use this methodology for everything we do. And this is how we define step three is the wisdom gap. So I want you to put the destination in the middle. 
So draw a circle and whatever destination you decide on. So let's say in your example, the $200 million companies decided we're going to be, we're going to grow by 50% over two years in these three product lines. Okay, whatever it is, put that in the middle. And then I just want you to draw three circles, maybe four, because I do love threes, but you can go to four max. And those four circles outside of the destination are just the buckets of wisdom. Again, definition, knowledge, and experience. What knowledge and experience are imperatives, not nice to have, but what are the two or three things that you would just have to be amazing at to get to the destination? Okay. Now let's take your example just a step further. Let's say that part of that growth is, is it was going to sell these two products. And, and as a result, we have to be a super, those are all digital products, right? So we have to be really digitally savvy and we've defined that. Well, one of those circles might be data analytics. That's one of the favorite ones that we run to all the time. We've got to be really good at data. Well, what the heck does that mean? Right? So take that data circle and, and then add the two or three other circles, right? What are the wisdom buckets? And I would encourage you to do this with some of the, I love private equity because they freak out when I usually, when I walk them through this methodology. So what are the other circles of wisdom, right? So instead of saying, we, we know how to fix this company, that's great. Well, just draw it on this ego, ecosystem for me. Tell me the three buckets of wisdom that are imperatives and then score it yourself. What is the probability based on the wisdom today that you have the organization has that you're gonna get to the destination? Right. So now you've got in front of you one piece of paper. Don't need a 300 page deck for this. OK, what is the probability you can do it? That's just an honest self-assessment. We do this. It's so much fun. I've done it with hundreds of companies around the world and, and they don't really know what I'm doing. And we're drawing the picture on the board. I just use whiteboards and flip charts. Don't like PowerPoint. And they start scoring. It's all this technology stuff. And you know what the average score is having done this for four years? The probability to get to the destination across every size company is less than 60 percent. Now, that's pretty is that, amazing. Is that self, is that self assess. Self assess. So it's not my score. I'm not coming in and doing a bunch of work and saying, here's your path. This is their destination. We've helped them to find it. It's their buckets of wisdom that are the imperatives. Their score is less than 60%. Now, you can imagine the shock in the room when they figure out what we're doing and we add up all the percentages and say, how do you guys feel about less than 60% chance of getting the destination? And the better question is, particularly with bigger companies, it's so much fun. I always ask, okay, now let's just pause for a second because somebody's got to walk down the hallway and tell the chairman of the company that this thing that we've been talking about for two years, we're going to get done. We have less than 60% to do it. Now, just show of hands. Who wants to volunteer for that job, right? It's ridiculous. So then everybody wants to start changing the scores. Well, it really isn't 40% there. I said, look, they're your scores, not mine. But this is the wisdom gap exercise we use. It's super simple. Anybody can do it. We have a methodology we use, but anybody can do this. And this is what I share in the book. Then, so if you agree with that, then the question becomes, how do I fill those wisdom gaps, right? And we get- Can I delve into something first? Yeah, yeah, please, please, please. One thing that's, one thing that's kind of you know, tickling the back of my head here as you said something. So I get, I get destination. Yep. You know, and, I, and I get the idea. Sometimes it's, you know, it's part of the vision you yeah. know, piece. Yeah, right? yeah, it can be. And I, and I get um, the idea that there are imperatives to achieving it. Mm-hmm. But what about, where does the strategy piece come in? So if the strategy is the decision and choices of how to achieve the destination, and then you might have the enablers or imperatives. Yeah. Are you working, is that part of that initial piece? Because I might sit there and say, okay, I want to grow the business from 200 million to 500 million. Yeah. That's my, that's my objective. That's the destination is 500 million in revenue in the next three years. That's right. Say that. That's right. Now the choices that I could choose, the strategy, if you like, is I could, focus in my core market and go deeper into that customer set and provide other product solutions. I could take the same set and move internationally, you know, blah, blah, blah. And as I start to kind of get clear on those choices, then I would obviously move into probably 
the bit I think I heard, I just want to understand it really well, which is where are the gaps now? Yeah, that's right. Yeah. And you, you have that sequence, right? My starting point is, again, I don't like a lot of the fancy words I think confuse us. When I talk about a destination, I'm assuming we're starting that that's part of your strategic work and you have okay. made a decision from your strategy work. Now, we, we love to help with that. And I do a whole talk on what I call the strategy trap, which I think is another real pitfall with companies. My advice to people is really complicated, Nick, pick one. Because we end up usually with two or three really, really good ones. They'll all work. And we spend sometimes years, bigger companies spend years. Depending yeah, I like that. I like that. You can, you can get overwhelmed by choices. Yeah, but I'm, exactly. a, but I'm assuming when we get to that, that ecosystem picture, that's a result of your strategy. So you've said, I want to grow by X 50%. And I'm going to do that through uh, global expansion and AI. I'm just making it up, right? right? I'm assuming we're there on the destination because that's when the work gets powerful. Say, okay, well, that's great. So what is my wisdom on the AI part of that? What is my wisdom on the global expansion? Have I ever done that? Have I ever done like one day of it? And what you'll find again with this exercise, it's so revealing and it's not scientific. People get all hung up and how I do the math. And I'm like, look, I'm just directionally trying to tell you below 60% is not great guys. I mean, that's not where you want to be. You want to be above 80 or 90%. So it's all I'm trying to show. So if we get there, I've never had this not work. There is going to be one of those circles where we've got to dramatically and quickly increase our wisdom. So if you buy into the process at this point, then the only question is, well, how do I do that? Right. The easy answer is if you're a very rich individual company is just go hire a bunch of people. And go, go find the, the wisest with the most knowledge and experience. Usually not super practical. And I would argue most companies can't or shouldn't afford to go do that. Because, there's, because if we go find and borrow, which is all we do, we go borrow the wisdom from other people. And now what they do is two things. One, they help us solve what we're stuck on. So back to my AI, or let's call it just data. If I'm not very good at data and I need to understand how to actually capture and use data, then I want somebody that has actually done that. I, I don't need a thought leader or an academic or a consultant. I need somebody who's done it. What I'm trying to do, you said it earlier, it's gone before me. Okay, so let's say I have that person. They're going to do two things. They're going to help me get unstuck, to use my terminology. But you know what's going to happen along the way and happens very quickly, they're going to pour into me and teach me how I did it. Right now, boom, this is how we were supposed to learn. If you go back to the history of education from day one of every documented educational format, it was a wise person teaching a less wise person. So I would ask you organizationally, corporately, why do we get away from that? Now, again, I think there's a whole different another discussion. I think we know why we did, but the fact is we did. So all I'm doing, you talk about old school, is just bringing back into the equation that wisdom transfer. So if you buy into the model that we identify these gaps, then the only question is, is you have to go find it. And, and again, I actually outline in the book the way we do it, the way we recommend to do it. I want leaders to try this. You don't have to have GXG doing it. We love doing it. We love to help people. But you have to be very specific on the output you're looking from that wisdom gap, right? And then if you go look in those swim lanes and there's tons of ways to go search and find people. And the key is we have to ask them in the right way. We have to reciprocate. The spirit of reciprocity is alive and well out there. People love sharing their wisdom because you said it earlier on your, about your podcast, you shared with me, gosh, I end up learning just as much as you know anybody else. And this is great. That's the spirit of reciprocity, right? And so we see that happen every day at 
particularly in our advisory board format, but you can go find those people and then you have to activate it in a thoughtful way. And that's step five. So after we find them and we actually engage with them, then we activate what they've taught us. And we use, I, I call it a synthesization process. That's why I'm obsessed with three because you can't come out of these sessions with like a hundred things to do. Or I found companies are super clever. My company did it. We have, I, I make them, I, I use a forcing mechanism. You can only have three things. So they go three and then they have three A, B, C, and D. So we end up with 15. So we don't let them do that. But those are the five steps we use around wisdom. <laughs> and anybody can do this, Nick. Like I said, if, if you're- It sounds super simple in terms, but I like simplicity. I don't like, I, I agree with Same you 100%. Way. I don't like, I don't like adding- you know, I, I did a stint many years ago with BCG and I don't oh, want yeah. to slander off my colleagues. No, it's but a great company. There's a lot of, there's a lot of, you know, big words and oh. methodology that get voted around. Yeah. I, so, I always felt, I've always felt bad as a, as a CEO because we had to do the decks and, and, and certainly in the US public companies love it because they like the, the, the big consulting firms deck to sort of confirm what we're doing. I got no problem with that, but it's super expensive and it always bothered me as a CEO. I could never say it at the time, but it's like, wow, I don't really understand a lot of this because it's super complicated. And yet I'm the one who has to go execute it, right? Wouldn't it be better if I just had somebody that had done a piece of this before me, like in China? My, my examples, I use them in the book in China, like just this five people, I had five people in my network that had 125 years experience in China and we got on these one hour facilitated conversations. It was amazing. They said, Craig, do this, not that. I'm like, wow, that, that, that. But that's where I see the growth of, you know, let, let's call it mentorship or oh, whatever yeah. the term is. Because you know, what you've said, I mean, I don't want to, I don't want to dumb it down, but I want to, I want to just um, okay. uh, portray what I heard, right? Yeah. So, so first and foremost, you've got to know where you're going. So that goes through a process, a choice that's made through the strategic direction of the company. Right. That's, that's clear. As you do that, you're going to be, there's going to be some things within that pathway that you're excellent at. You have the capability, you have the knowledge in the, in the company, whatever way that's there. And there's going to be a couple of areas potentially where you just don't have it. That's right. And the problem is if those areas are, significantly important and they're very, very low in terms of, of that competency, then it's going to bring the whole thing down that's right. and put at risk that's right. the chance of this happening. Yeah, that's right. And then, and then what you said is, you know, you've got potentially three options of how you could fix that, right? You could do the very slow option, which is try and learn it yourself. Yep. You could go and hire people kind of almost full-time to come into the business and and bring that. But there's a middle ground here. There's Find the person who's the real expert or, or the process or whatever it is, yeah. the person who has the wisdom and get that from them That's in right. the most efficient, effective way. And then also bring, the, not just get it in and get it done, actually bring that in and learn from it. And then it becomes part of the methodology and part of that wisdom within the company. That's right. I should have had you write the book because that's even simpler than my book. No, that's a beautiful explanation. I listen. I listen well. No, it's, a, it's, all, it's awesome, Nick. And that, that <laughs> is the explanation. And I actually loved how you started it. Uh, and I'm okay if people dumb this down because I think one of the problems with leaders have is we overcomplicate the important stuff. And again, if everybody would just keep that model in mind, if I increase my wisdom, I'm going to have more confidence and I'm going to move faster to get unstuck. But be intentional about finding the wisdom. And again, we, we've built incredible methodologies and, and, and a very pretty, pretty deliberate process, how we do that and then how we facilitate it. But anybody can do it. And even if you get it half right, you're going to move half faster than you did on your own. And you said something super important, which I love. And I would say early stage companies, especially because tend to not have as much money as the bigger companies. 
Does the hiring thing usually isn't an option, but I hear this all the time with the early stage companies we deal with. Well, you know, I'm just figuring this out and it's part of my journey. And guess what? It's all of those people that come back to us six months later and go, I'm kind of frustrated figuring it out. And I'm sorry, I'm super sad. I'm still losing money. You know, can you help get this wisdom in here? And I actually like that. It's a little bit like parenting in my mind where you have to let the kids go through the process, right? Well, there's, uh, there's a reason I know it so well, because, you know, over the last six months, that's basically what my business is. I'm sure. So, yeah. but I have exactly the same conversation. Yeah. You know, you'll get with the founder, they're stuck. They're clearly in a yeah. plateau yeah. or worse. And, and, you know, a lot of the time it's like, do you need someone just there who's been there and done it to effectively be the sounding board to challenge, to hold right. you to account, whatever, whatever it is. And, and often they say, no, I don't need that. Don't need of course I don't need that. And then, yeah. you know, so you're right. Six months later, sometimes a year later, <laughs> they're, they're either worse. But the thing I like just to, just to kind of, I suppose, um, edify what you've said yeah. is I love the simplicity of it. Yeah. And I love the fact it's progressive because more often than not, when I go into a business that's, let's say it's a business that's going from startup to scale up and they've raised some funding. Yeah, VC, sure. They've suddenly got, you know, half a million, a million or more in their coffers. And the first thing they do, and you, you know what I'm going to say here, right? Do you want to have a guess? <laughs> no, 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 go ahead. The first thing they normally do is go and hire a very expensive salesperson. <laughs> Thank you. Yeah. Right? Um, they, they, they definitely go and hire a very expensive person. Yeah, absolutely. And what I say to them is the risk of that decision, right? Because you've got to get them in, get them out. I said, bring in an expert, right. bring in someone, but bring them in with a very clear outcome and result, project, whatever, yeah. something you can turn on and turn off, but have an intention around that. That's right. You need, yeah. And that, and that's, that's, you know, to be honest, it's not, it's not rocket science, right? Yeah. We both agree on this, yeah. but that one decision, particularly the stage of business that, that I'm dealing with, yeah can be the the difference between you know this pathway to an amazing exit and you know whatever else and financial freedom for the founder yeah. or the pit of despair i love that and, and i'm only chuckling it because i just love that piece of your work because one of the red flags i always look to when there's a guy or a gal as we would say in the south here that's going to just fix it all like ah oh, you know i don't need any help i got a guy coming in and he's this and i'm like boy red flag call me in six months when the guy didn't work out and maybe we'll talk about wisdom. So I love that. That's a great diagnosis. So I'm going to um, just mention your book now to everyone listening. So it is called Unstuck, How to Unlock and Activate the Wisdom of Others. I believe it's it's out now, isn't it? It, it is out. Yeah, it, it came out a few weeks ago on, uh, on Amazon. So it's out and available. Absolutely. Okay. And is there anything else that we haven't covered before we kind of wrap things up, Craig? Anything else, any sort of insights or pearls of wisdom yourself that you want to kind of leave the audience with? Well, the only thing I would tell your audience, Nick, is again, I think this this really challenging time is a unique opportunity for, for leaders. Leaders that are willing to invest time in their people, really know them, not just know about them, willing to really make their work specific and make those choices right now. If leaders would do nothing else other than walk out of this today and go make a couple of choices, communicate that the organization, the stress level, I promise you will come down dramatically. And if you are stuck and you got to grow, just please draw the ecosystem. Take a piece of paper. It takes 10 minutes. Be honest with yourself. Score it and then go find that wisdom that you're missing and you will go faster. I promise.
Love it. Oh, this has been a great conversation. I knew from the beginning when we started chatting, it was going to be fun and it has been great. So where can, where can people reach out and find you, Craig? Yeah, the, the best place is our website, uh, gxg.co, C-O. Uh, we share tons of case studies, methodologies. I want to be super transparent with people. And then in terms of speaking and, and, and other work, craiglamasters.com is uh, my speaker website. Love to share these thoughts with companies and you can see all that on there. So, and LinkedIn, I, lo- I love to follow people and, and share stuff on LinkedIn. Uh, so uh, love to connect with anybody that wants to on LinkedIn. Okay. Awesome. Well, listen, Craig, it's been an absolute pleasure having you on Scale Up Your Business. Thank you for sharing everything. And it's such a hot topic. It's such an important one. And I'm sure there's lots of founders, business leaders who are going to be listening to this thinking, you know what, the simplicity and the clarity of this conference today is very helpful. I appreciate that. No, it was very fun. Thanks for having me, Nick.